Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church invites you to join us every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for worship, the word of fellowship. And if you'd like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. Now get, now get your Bibles ready and let's get started. Um, I'm going to invite you to open to 1 Peter today. We've concluded Jonah and now we're going into 1 Peter. Now, before we get into 1 Peter, we're going to have to give some context. So today's going to be really more about background context so that we could, we could really understand the rest of it that's to come after that. But um, let me ask you this. How many of you guys were the troublemaker? Don't lie. If you're not raising your hand, that's probably you, okay? You were the troublemaker. I, I think I was. I'm the middle of three, um, and I remember most of the horror stories in my family having to do with me. It was, it was just me, I think. For example, um, sometimes that I've freaked my mom out, it was an evening after dinner. We had eaten, and my mom cooks well, but when you're in high school and you play football, you're just always hungry. So after dinner one night, I kind of slipped out of the house and we lived in an apartment. So it was kind of like a, a condo apartment, second story. We had a balcony and everything. I slipped out of the, the apartment and I went down the street to the local Taco Bell. And I remember purchasing a couple of Mexi-Melts because I really liked those. This was right after dinner. All right. My mom started looking for me and wondering, where did Brandon go? I get home. My mom's looking for me and she has this, this look on her face like, where were you? And I felt so guilty that I went and got some Taco Bell after mom ate dinner. So I put the bag right behind me like this. And I snuck into the house and my mom was on me about, she's like, Brandon, what do you have there? What do you have? Nothing? I got nothing? You know, I think like I'm a junior in high school or something at the time. And I'm just saying, I got nothing. So if you're a mom, you can just imagine what I look like at the moment, right? And so I scoot from the front door, headed towards the balcony. I open the sliding door. I go back there and I toss a bag out. My mom just freaks out and she books it to the front door. And now it's a race. Mom versus me. And see who's going to get to the door first. We both get to the door. We both run down the stairs like really, really aggressively. We both get down to the bottom of the balcony, and I felt like I'm going to die. My mom picks up this bag, and she's thinking, what kind of drugs are you doing? (laughs) Right? That's what she's thinking. She picks up the bag, she opens it up, and to her surprise, there's two splattered Mexi-Melts. And so there's a sense of relief, right? And there's a sense for me like, oh, goodness, what's going to happen now? And she just starts laughing and she starts praising the Lord that it was just tacos. Okay? That story is told every single time I'm with my parents. That story always comes up and that's just one of many. And it's always about how Brandon did something or didn't do something or try to get get away with something and so on and so forth. I don't know if you can relate to me in that regard, but I was that kid, you know? I couldn't get away with anything it's like if my parents wrote down a journal, and they may or may not, ha- I, don't, I don't know, but I bet you I'm there a lot, okay, with all of my scripts and mess up. Peter was similar, and we're going to talk about Peter today. 
And this is a very relatable guy in the sense that, hey, I see myself a lot in here, you know? And perhaps he's so relatable because we see a lot of Peter as opposed to the other disciples. In fact, there's some of the disciples we don't know much about. We don't even know what their life with Christ was too much, right? And we don't know what happened after Christ uh, ascended. There's those guys too. Were they important? Absolutely. But Peter was just a standout guy. He was a wild guy, all right? And I'm not saying I'm a wild guy. I just, I'm just saying I relate to this guy, all right, Peter? And so right now, we're going we're gonna to just introduce this letter. This, this is an epistle, a letter that Peter wrote to a few churches, believers. So who was Peter? Let's just get that straight, because it's important to understand the author. It's important to understand the context so that we understand the letter, the message. Got it? Who is Peter? Well, arguably, one of the most popular of Jesus' disciples. I mean, who's more popular than Peter? Maybe John is number two, right? Um, he was originally called by the Hebrew name Shimon. Did you know that? Which translated to English means Simon. But then Jesus met him and he said, hey, I'm going to give you a new name. And in Aramaic, he named him Cephas, which means rock. Cephas, translated to Greek, is Petros, where we get the name Peter. Hence, Simon Peter. How did I do? Right? This is Peter. So when we read of Simon, we're talking about Peter. When we read of Peter, we're talking about Peter. When we read of Cephas, we're talking about Peter. Same guy. All right? And he's actually... And, and he's also called Simon Peter uh, throughout the Gospels. So this is all the same guy. This is all the, the, the man that was chosen by Jesus himself. He said, follow me. Okay? Apart from Jesus himself, the Gospels make reference to Peter more than any other disciple. Maybe because he got in trouble so much. Who knows, right? But perhaps because Peter was a very in-your-face kind of guy. I mean, just take a moment. If you know anything about Peter, just think about him. He was absolutely an in-your-face type of guy, wasn't he? He was definitely a character. Personally, like I mentioned, I find him very relatable. And I think it's because I know a lot of his failures and I know a lot of his victories. And so I think it's just so valuable that all of these things were documented in the Gospels about Peter. And we learn from that. And of the 12, Simon Peter is the one who had all of his screw-ups documented. Imagine that. Imagine you're that guy. What if your screw-ups were documented for all time? How would that make you feel? This Simon Peter was very well known, even to people he didn't want to know him, okay? It's documented. We know Peter for everything that he has done, but I think that that's what makes him a very lovable character, don't you? It makes him relatable. So he often did and said the wrong things, didn't he? And then other times he came out the things that came out of his mouth were just anointed. There was no doubt about it. It's like, wow. So again, going back to the wow factor, Peter was a wow kind of guy. Let me, let me give you some examples. It was Peter who asked to meet Jesus walking on the water. Remember that? Jesus is walking and Peter being bold. He gets, he's like, can I come to you? Can I come to you? He steps out of the boat and he gets on. He's walking on water. Other than Jesus, only Peter did this, right? Wow, Peter. That's amazing. But it was also Peter who looked around and thought, I'm walking on water. And he sinks, right? Wow, Peter. You know, you had it going. This is Peter. It was also Peter who correctly acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah when all the other disciples stood silent on that question. Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. Nailed it. 
Wow, Peter, good job, right? But it was also Peter who rebuked Jesus for mentioning the fact that when he went to Jerusalem, he would be arrested and crucified. Remember, Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan, while looking at Peter. Wow, Peter. Do you see this? Like, this is definitely an in-your-face kind of guy. And then it was Peter who boasted at the Last Supper that he was ready to die with Jesus that very night. Wasn't it? Wow, Peter, that's amazing. You ready for this? Well, you remember the story, right? That very night when Jesus is being arrested, it was Peter who drew a sword and swung it at the arresting officers and cut his right ear off, wasn't it? Wow, Peter, a little aggressive. And then it goes on. That same night, it was Peter who said he was ready to die for Jesus or with Jesus, then denies him thrice. Wow, Peter. This is the guy that's writing this letter that we're going to look into, right? And there's more. It was also Peter who dove into the water. He couldn't even wait to dock the boat when he saw the resurrected Jesus on the shore. He's like, is that Jesus? Right. And he just, let's go. Nose dive into the water. He swims there and he can't wait to see him. And it was Peter whom Jesus asked three times, do you love me, Peter? And he commissioned him to take care of the sheep, to take care of the lambs. This man who messed up so much was entrusted with a lot, wasn't he? Right? But Jesus knew that Peter couldn't do it with his own power. The Holy Spirit would come and empower him. And it was Peter that the day on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down, he's the one who proclaimed it. And thousands came to saving grace through Peter. Right? And so this man is just amazing. And, and there's moments where he speaks and some of the people had to ask, who is this man? He's not educated, meaning he didn't go to synagogue. How does he know so much of the scriptures? What, right? He was empowered by the Holy Spirit and he was just very impressive. This screw up fisherman, you know, was sanctified. He was brought from one place in life and, and, and sanctified. He was refined to become something more. All right. And so this is who we're learning from is this man who has seen a, seen a thing or two. He's witnessed this thing or two. He's experienced a thing or two. And therefore, he has a thing or two to say to the churches. And so we ought to listen, right? Now, let's take a look at First Peter's letter. Now, Peter is in Rome at this time. What's he doing in Rome? He's doing ministry. Remember, Peter was called to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Remember, he, he ministered to Cornelius. He was a Gentile. The Lord prepared him and sent him to such thing. And now he's in Rome. There's persecution that's really just rising up, stirring up. Peter's writing to a group of people that were going through intense persecution who found themselves to be pretty confused and discouraged. So the church in this time has no idea what to do. Why? Because, do you remember uh, James, the brother of Jesus? He was, the, lead, he was the, the main elder in Jerusalem. He was the chief elder there. And at this same time, this same year, is when James is martyred. And so who's there to encourage the people, the believers, the, Jewish, the Jews and the Gentiles of the region? Who's there to, to help them get through this tough time? We all go through tough times, don't we? And some worse than others. But usually it was James who had the words to encourage people. It was James who had the answers. It was James who would write the letters and say, this is the conclusion right here. This is what we're going to do. It was James who really took his position seriously. And now he's gone. So Peter steps up. And I think it's just a beautiful thing. The apostle. And he's going to remind us in this letter that suffering is something we ought to expect. 
We shouldn't come to a place where we think that it's weird or out of place to experience any kind of trial or suffering. I hope that you're not that kind of people where it's like a hard time's happening. You're like, what? What's going on here? Like, why is life so hard? This life is just hard, right? We're in the flesh. We live in this, this world that's dominated by Satan, okay? He rules this world right now. And so we are the remnant, those who have been saved. We have been saved from that. And we're not being saved just from sin, but we're also being saved to the glory of God and to something else. And so that's something that we can look forward to. And this is what Peter does in this letters is he makes it crystal clear of who we are and what's ahead for us to look forward to, right? And this message, it's actually quite simple. He says, trust the Lord and obey him regardless of what's happening. How many of you guys are really good at that? I'm not, you know, sometimes situations get a little weird. And the last thing I do is trust the Lord. In fact, first thing I do is worry or complain sometimes, right? Maybe you're the same, maybe you're not. Maybe you're just a lot better than I am. And if we were to think back to Peter and his share of experience, we could see, okay, this man has a little bit of wisdom. So let's dive into 1 Peter. What I want to do today is I want to read verse 1 through 12, but I'm actually not going to unpack the entire passage today, okay? There's a lot of context. There's really a really... Uh, even a controversial issue that I'm going to discuss today, but it's nevertheless important for us to do it. So let's look, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Jesus and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the, in the things that, we now have, uh, that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long look to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Just ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us understand it, that you would help us see it, Father. 
that you would allow us, Lord, to know you more each and every time that we dive into this book. And thank you for everyone here today, Lord Jesus. We're just expecting, Father, from you today. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. All right. So here's Peter. And we read this just to give us a little bit more, right? But he's talking to Christians. He's talking to um, uh, the people that he calls elect exiles. And we'll get to that in a second here. But what we see here is it's called the circular letter. A circular letter is a letter that's meant to go to several people. So, for example, if I write a circular, circular letter and the first recipient is you, it is expected then after that you read it, after you read it, you pass it on to the next person. And after they read it, they pass it on to the next person. And so what we see here is a circular letter that's sent to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and then Bithynia. Now, each of these nations or each of these people or churches, more specifically, what they would do is they would congregate together and they had someone read it out loud. And while he's reading out loud, there's a scribe copying it down. Now, this is a very important letter, and it is important because of how it is introduced. It is introduced in this way. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter cites his apostleship here to establish that his letter is authoritative and it should thus be received and circulated. Now, who's an apostle at that time? There's very few of them. And Peter is one of the big guys. Paul's another one of the big guys. Peter to the Jew, Paul to the Gentile. And now he's, he's pretty much saying, hey, this is a serious letter. This is not just a hi, how you doing letter. Okay, this is through the authority that has been given to me as an apostle. And so this is quite authoritative. In other words, read it, do it. Why? Because this is what you need right now. So he's observing a few things that are going on in these churches, especially through the circumstances that they're living through, which is persecution. And so this is where he is. And so he goes on and then he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the dispersion. Now, if you were with us about a year ago, I'm going to say now, we talked about the dispersion when we start studied the book of Acts. The Greek word here is diaspora. Okay, this, these are Jewish believers, not just believers, excuse me. These are Jewish communities, Jewish people who for one reason or another have been exiled or they have left their homeland. Okay, they called them the diaspora, the dispersed. Most reasons was exile or persecution, or mission, okay? Now, remember, Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he caused a dispersion because he was persecuting the church. And so these are the type of people that we're addressing. In fact, many of them have come even as far as this Western world, the dispersed people, the exiles, let's say. Now, the, the Old Testament Bible actually also did uh, talks about these exiles. For example, exiles who were in Egypt at the time. They were exiled from Jerusalem or from their home country. They were exiled from, uh, uh, to Babylon, etc. And so the Jewish really related to being exiled. You see that? And so he is addressing these people. They're connecting. They know, okay, he's talking to me. And this more specifically, he says, those uh, of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatians, Cappadocian, Bithynia, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, who is he talking to? He's talking to those who are elect exiles. What does it mean to be elect? Now, this is what we need to talk about before we dive into the next part of the letter. All right. And this is very important for us to know as Christians, because I promise you there's a 
either, there's a controversy, controversy about what this word means, okay? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay it down as I understand it in the scriptures. And I understand both ways, and I am just convinced that this is it, okay? And uh, we can have this, this conversation afterwards if you'd like. But we're talking about those who are elect. In the Hebrew Bible, the nation of Israel was designed that. The God's chosen people. They did nothing to earn it. They were just chosen to be God's chosen people. In the New Testament, God's chosen people are not just the Jews, but they were those people who were chosen unto salvation. They're also referred to as the elect. So if you received salvation, you're elect. That's what that means. If you are saved by Jesus Christ, you're elect. So what does it mean that you're elect, though? It means that God has given you the assurance of salvation. Now, here's where it gets a little controversial. Common belief, a lot of Christians, okay, especially in the American church, they, they believe that we have the choice to be saved, that that choice is for us to make. But Scripture is very explicit about this. We don't choose to be saved. We have to be saved. Remember when we talked about Jonah? We talked about the fish coming up to Jonah and it just swallowed him up. All right. The fish didn't stop in front of Jonah, open up his mouth and, and waited for him to make a decision. Salvation happens because you have no hope, no choice in the matter. Let me ask you this. Can a dead man choose to come back to life? No. Can a blind man choose to just say, I'm going to open my eyes today and see? No, it doesn't happen that way. Can a guilty man just choose one day that he's not guilty anymore? That'd be a problem, wouldn't it? So let's look at what John 15, 16 says. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. We did not choose him. We couldn't even choose him, but he chose us. And we'll see a beautiful example of this. And so therefore you've been chosen by God through Jesus Christ. You are his elect. You are justified. You are brought from death into life. You are born again. That's where we get that word. You can't be born on your own accord. You need someone's help to be born, don't you? All right. Same way with salvation. You can't just choose to be saved. You have to be saved. Look at what Romans chapter 8:33 says. Let's, let's flip there really quick. <clears throat> who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. For Jesus' sake, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. What this is saying is, if you have been chosen for salvation, nothing is going to take you away from that. All right. And so a lot of, lot of times we have the question that comes up, and you probably have asked yourself this before, 
am I saved? Am I actually saved? Have you ever had that kind of crossed your mind? Yeah, and that's a fair question. It's okay to ask that. But let me tell you something. Scripture is very clear. If you are saved, you are saved indeed. All right? You're not going to be unsaved. Otherwise, what was, what was the value of the cross? Was Jesus' sacrifice not enough for you to lose it? Think about that. And so we have to make that clear. God has the power and the authority to save. Remember in Jonah, we read this, salvation belongs to the Lord <laughs> and nothing can take that away from him. Therefore, you're locked in, you're secured. Does that mean that you hang out and be lazy? No. Okay. And we'll go more into this. So here's the thing though. God knew it was going to be you. Let's go back to first Peter. It says in verse two, that we are his elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God, the father. God knows he, who's he selected. He already knows regardless of past, God knows who he will bring into relationship with him. We've talked about this before. Sometimes we think, yeah, there's no way that guy could be saved, right? There's no way that that guy could ever be a Christian. God already knows regardless of what you look like, what you've done, where have you been, you, you can be saved, right? And so that calling is what really triggers that first step towards salvation is, wait a minute, is the spirit beckoning me into this? And whatnot. So let's look at what, like, for example, Peter. Let's look at him. We're talking about Peter. Let's look at Luke chapter 5. Let's look at his calling. It's just important to, to really understand where Peter is coming from, too, before we dive into this letter. So, Luke chapter 5. Now, I'm going to read this whole section just because it's so good. So, please bear with me. Chapter 5. It says, on one occasion, this is when Jesus calls his disciples, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. So getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him, he asked him to put him, put him out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put your boat into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down my, the, the nets. Six. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled the boat so that they uh, began to sink. But check this out, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at his knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed. Now, this is a very important section in scripture. Look at this in verse eight. It says that when Jesus saw it, what did he see? He saw Jesus reveal himself as the Christ. That's what he saw. God revealed himself to Peter. He, he showed him, hey, I'm something else. 
And when Peter saw this, he couldn't help it, but he fell down at the the needs of Jesus. And he says, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. You see, when we encounter Jesus, when we encounter the glory of God, our sins are just exposed at that time. That's when our heart breaks for what we have done. And so Peter sees, wow, this man truly is the Christ. And he says, no, I'm a sinful man. You can't come by, by me. My past is terrible. Who knows what Peter has done in in his past, right? Who knows what you've done in your past? Who cares? God's redeemed you. You know, that's just going to be used to build you up and to to help you lead others to him as well. But see, that's what Jesus does. That's what holiness does. It exposes sin. And so he feared because he thought, if this is a holy God, and if I'm guilty of sin, if I'm an unrighteous person, Please have mercy on me. That would be my reaction, wouldn't it? It's like if you're holy and I'm guilty of sin, you're going to destroy me right now, aren't you? And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Calm down, dude. All right. From now on, you will be catching man. So who you were is going to change and you're now working for me. And so here's where we have a choice in the matter. All right to obey or not to obey okay salvation jesus what are we going to do we're going to hang out and kind of take our time and being obedient or are we going to jump in these guys left everything and they followed him you see that okay This is who Peter's talking to, people who have had these experiences, people who understand, I am sinful. I don't understand how I'm going to get through this. You know, I'm not sure that God's got my back. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? What he's doing is he's encouraging them so that there's no doubt in their minds. Hey, you're saved. Don't worry. Regardless of what's going on in this world, you belong to Jesus. All right. And what you have ahead of you is way better than what you have here. If you feel like the forgiveness that you've experienced here on earth was great, wait until you see him face to face. Wait until you actually experience his glory. So what you're going through right now, it's worth it. Just be faithful. Be obedient. Choose to follow him regardless of what's happening here. And I promise you, your mind's going to be blown when you see Christ face to face. And I love what Sandy's uh, grandfather said before is, man, we don't know what heaven's like, right? There's all these questions. But what we do know is that we won't be disappointed, right? And so when you know that, and when you know that nothing can take you from that, Man, these struggles that we deal with, they become so little, so minuscule. Then we're able to persevere through them, can't we? So this is what Peter's saying is, hey, hey, it wasn't you who saved yourself, so therefore you can't lose it. It's not up to you to maintain it. It was God who saved you through Jesus Christ, and nothing can snatch you from him. So therefore you can have the assurance of faith that comes through the blood of Jesus. And so that's what he says in that final section of the verse. It says, in sanctification of the spirit for obedience of Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with his blood. So there's sanctification, there's obedience, which is a result of that. And now it's through the sprinkle of the blood of Jesus, which means the NIV says it and sprinkled with his blood. The CSB says is and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. What it's saying is the blood of Jesus is necessary. All right. And it's only through that that we can achieve salvation, which brings forth sanctification that allows us to be obedient to God's calling. 
That's what he's saying. And it's all through the blood of Jesus. Now, let me uh, talk about sanctification for a second here. What is that? That means to be made righteous or holy. For the moment, from the moment believers come to faith in Christ, they are set apart for growth and maturity in Christ. They have been declared righteous positionally and are becoming righteous progressively through the work of the Holy Spirit who dwells in them. Believers will continue to grow in holiness until we see Jesus face to face. So you're not done. If you think you're there, you're wrong. You're not there yet. You still have growing to do. You still have maturing to do. And trust me, the more we read and the more we learn, the more we realize I'm a noob, right? I'm still trying to figure things out. That's called sanctification. For example, we saw that with Peter. We saw how he used to behave. We saw how he used to respond. And we saw how he's grown. Now think back a little bit to your life. You know, you don't make the same mistakes you did back in the day. You know, part of it was growing up in Sherman, and a lot of it is just you being set apart. You're being sanctified. You're being made more like Christ. You are now an example as Christ was an example, right? Children are sanctifying. This life is sanctifying. Our jobs are sanctifying. Your spouse is sanctifying. No doubt about it, right? We're sanctified constantly, and we will forever be sanctified until we see Jesus face to face. Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion when? At the day of Jesus Christ. So there's hope for you yet, guys. You're not done. And that's good news. And so we have now this assurance of faith, hopefully. Assurance of faith is confidence that the saving work of Jesus Christ is sure and sufficient. Those who have repented of their sins and believe in the saving work of Jesus Christ for their reconciliation to God can have confidence that their souls are safe in Christ. All that scripture requires is repentance and faith, both of which are gifts from God as well. 1 John 5, let's read what it says. It says in verse 12 through 13, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Check this out. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life do you guys know that are you are you certain now is anybody doubting today whether or not they're 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 homeward bound right to heaven if you have received jesus if if jesus died for you and if you've repented and and if you have the faith that he died that he was buried that he resurrected that he ascended and he's coming again you should have that assurance of faith there should be no doubt in your mind that you are going home to him, all right? And that you're going to be able to experience the, the beauty and the wonder and the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, so let's, let's close with a reflection question and a couple of takeaways. Have you ever struggled with the assurance of your salvation? Really think about this. And this in itself is not a problem, but you need to have an answer to this. Look at what John 10, 1 through 18 says in regards to the good shepherd. Let me find that really quick. And this is beautiful. In fact, highlight this or, or go back and read it. But in this passage, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. Let me see. Where am I, am I starting? Yeah. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the thorn is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he has brought them out, all of, all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will free, flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who has a hired hand and not and, and, and not a shepherd, he does not own the sheep. And he sees a wolf coming and leaves and the sheep flees. Uh, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father's, father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking about the Gentiles now. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Okay. I read this so that you can think about this. How does God's investment in your salvation encourage you? Because see, he's the one who's saving, right? He's the one who saves. How does the fact that he lays his life down for you encourage you? That there's thieves, that the enemy's out there to kill, steal, and destroy. But no one, no one takes the sheep from the good shepherd, right? It is his authority. He lays his life down for it for you and he picks it back up. He takes it back up for you. How does God investment in your salvation encourage you? Let's go to takeaway number one. Salvation becomes, be, belongs to the Lord, as we read in Jonah, and nothing can take that away. So know that. Write that down. If you're ever doubting, let's have a conversation because if you have been saved, if you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've chosen to follow him, there's nothing that will separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. John 10, 27 to 29 says, my sheep hear my voice. This is just a little further from where we read. And I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. They will never perish. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I hope that answers any doubts that you've ever had. Takeaway number two, God isn't finished with you yet. God promises that he will bring your uh, sanctification to completion, as we read in Philippians. Hard days, trials, traffic, all these things are okay with God for you to experience because this is sanctification. And it's all because he loves you and he knows that he's not done with you. And so maybe, maybe you're one way now. And a few years from now, you could be like Peter and you're preaching and you're teaching and you're encouraging folks. Now, this is just the greeting 
This is just two verses from what we saw here. But it's important to have this understanding, this assurance of faith, this assurance of salvation, because what we, we read from now on is all about that. It's about this living hope that we have. And what he's trying to do is to allow the reader to, to see, wow, 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 wow. What we're going through in this life is nothing compared to what's ahead. It's worth the suffering. It's worth the trial. And it's okay. God has ordained it. He's going to sanctify us. He has already justified us. All right. And one day we will come face to face with Jesus. And all we will be able to do is perhaps what Peter did is just fall on our knees and weep. I, I think that's my reaction. My heart softens up just at the thought of meeting Jesus face to face. Right. And so that's the guarantee is Jesus has saved us and nothing can take us away from that. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for Oh, your saving grace. <clears throat> I thank you that you're all powerful, almighty, and there's literally nothing that stands in your way. Even Satan has to come before you and ask to do what he does. And that just baffles me and just amazes me. So, Lord, I ask, Father, that you would fill us with that assurance of faith that we just know without a doubt that we belong to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for choosing us for asking us to follow you. Help us be obedient to that call. Help us be steadfast, Lord. Help us endure trials and tribulations, Lord Jesus. And we look forward to your word, what we have uh, to learn from you, Lord, and from your servant, Peter. Thank you for his life as well. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.